Love you guys. Thanks for all the love. Oh, man, I've, I've felt the love all morning. Uh, this is truly the, the best place to be. Um, I'm so grateful for all of you and really grateful uh, to be here sharing with you guys. So um, we've all been there before. We've all transitioned from one thing to the next. We've all left something behind, something that we held so tightly to, something we were so certain about. We've all at some point left that behind and entered into some sort of new understanding. We've been through this process at some point in your life of, de- of some sort of deconstruction, of breaking down what you thought you knew, what you believed about the world, and entering into new understanding. And this process doesn't just happen within your religious framework, but it happens in every single area of your life. Just think about the things that you used to believe in when you were little, when you were a kid. The, the way that you thought the world worked. I remember in fifth or sixth grade, um, I swallowed a piece of gum, all right? And um, I remember, you know, doing some, some quick math and being mortified because I was going to have this gum in my system till I was at least like 16 years old, right? And I believe that because that's what I had been told, right? They told me, if you swallow your gum, it's going to stay in your stomach for how long? What would they say? Seven years? Oh, scary, right? Turns out maybe that's not the full truth. And you start realizing these things. There's actually something that um, us Hispanic kids kind of collectively went through together, especially the kids who are first generation, the ones who are born here. Um, see, in our culture, we have this, this, this magical ointment, all right? It's called Viva Puru, all right? And, uh, and we all grew up with it, all right? And this ointment, it's special, all right? It cures all things, everything, all right? Uh, you have a cold, Viva Puru. It's going to do it, right? You have a fever, it'll work. If you have pain on your leg, just rub a little Viva Puru, you're solid, right? Uh, confession, Hazel and I, we still use Viva Puru, like, every day, all right? You see, like, soccer players, like, before they go on the field, before they go on, they're just like, all right, let's go, it's time, right? They put a little in their nose, and they get some sort of jump of energy, right? They're, like, ready to go, you know? I had a friend who was a mom who would, would put it in his throat. <laughs> like, I don't think that's how it works, all right? But maybe it does. I don't know. It, it just cures all things. And I was wondering, what is this thing? What is this Viva Puru thing? It sounds like some sort of ancient Mayan, you know, remedy that was passed down from generation to generation, and it's now something that, you know, we use in Latin America, all right? Viva Puru. I remember one day I was like a freshman in high school, all right? It was late already. I picked up the bottle of Viva Puru and actually read what it said, and it said, Vicks Vapor Rub. And I'm like, what? What in the world? Vicks Vapor Rub? There's no way. This ointment that I have been using my entire life, this this ancient Mayan remedy, it turns out it's just Vicks? What in the world? I remember asking my mom, right? Mom, I thought, this is is Vicks Vapor Rub. She's like, see, mijo, it's Viva Puru. I'm like, no. That's what that means? We've all been there before, right? Once you start growing up, the things that you were so certain of, of, you believe the world worked a certain way, and turns out 
maybe things are a little bit different. And so you've gone through this process that we all go through of breaking these things down and entering into new understanding. If you read scripture, you'll notice that this process is something that you see all throughout. One of the places where I see it most clearly is in the book of Psalms. The, Psalm, the Psalms are a beautiful collection of writings uh, that talk about, uh, that share people journeying through life and spirituality. Uh, but if you read them, you will notice that they vary in tone, all right, and in theme. Some Psalms are really uplifting and encouraging, while some Psalms are, are a lot more tense, right? It's a little bit more somber. Walter Brueggemann, who is one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, he says that Psalms are a reflection of the human spirit uh, and the human experience in various forms. And he categorizes Psalms in three different categories. The first is orientation, the second is disorientation, and the third is reorientation. Psalms of orientation, they celebrate the goodness of life when everything is working as it should, when things are in order. If you've read Psalm 23, you know this. Certainly, mercy and goodness and mercy will follow you for the rest of your life. There's certainty there. These are Psalms of orientation. Then there's Psalms of disorientation that express anguish, doubt, and a sense of abandonment when life becomes chaotic and unjust. Psalm 13 says this, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? Some people call these psalms of lament. And lastly, we have psalms of reorientation. So these emerge from experiences of transformation and renewal, offering hope and new perspective. And the psalms are just one of many moments in scripture where you can see this. You can see this process, this process of deconstructing, of breaking down what you know and rebuilding is a biblical thing and is deeply a part of the rhythms that make up who we are. Now in this series that I've loved so much, we have been talking about deconstructing our faith and breaking that, breaking that down and, and finding what is elemental, the things that remain And I thought, as we close our series this morning, I wanted to share my own personal journey through deconstruction and the things that I found to be elemental. Now, a couple things before I share. The first one is that this is just my experience. This is just one of many moments in my life where I've uh, I've been through this process of, of deconstruction. Many things have been deconstructed in my life. This is by no means you know, some sort of map or guide of how things should look like or things work out. No, my experience is unique. Everybody's a little bit different. The second thing that I want to share with you guys, keep in mind, um, I just, I want to be really honest with you, all right? I want to, I want to speak vulnerably, open up my heart, because after all, this is my last sermon, you know? Uh, But my hope is that by sharing my journey um, through, through this moment and this season of faith in my life, that somebody in here who's experiencing uh, those same questions um, can, can feel the love and the grace of God in their life. I remember I was 13 years old when I was uh, sitting in a campaña evangelística, all right, which is like one of those like, um, like week-long evangelistic series at your church. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I was in one of those, and the goal for these campañas were always to make, to lead people eventually to make this decision to get baptized. 
And I remember where I was in my church growing up. I remember where I was sitting, what the pastor, who the pastor was, what he was talking about, and he made an altar call. And this altar call was centered around um, accepting Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior um, and, and hopefully living with him for eternity. And, that, and growing up, that was my, even at 13 years old, that was my desire. I wanted to be in, in communion with Christ. I wanted to live with Jesus forever. I was so certain about that. And so he made a call, and I remember feeling a tug on my heart, feeling a real tug on my heart. Uh, I, I was overcome by emotion. It was almost as if Jesus himself was knocking at the door of my heart. And I listened to that call, and I went up. I stood up. And I made a real decision that day, a real decision to dedicate my life to Jesus and to accept him as my Lord and Savior. And three, four weeks later, I got baptized, and it was one of the best days of my life. And my baptism changed the trajectory of my life. It, it eventually led me to, to, uh, to lean more into the things of God. It led me to, to say that my gifts and talents were going to be exclusively used for the kingdom of God. And it eventually led me to accept the calling that I felt from the Holy Spirit on my life to dedicate my life to ministry and become a pastor. Um, now, for a lot of people, their deconstruction was prompted by um, maybe an experience that they had, maybe some sort of disillusionment with the church, maybe a transition in their life. But for me, it was prompted academically and centered around logic and reason. So I started my theology degree at La Sierra University, and uh, I'm so, I love school so much. I love learning. I love new perspectives. Um, I'm so grateful for my theology professors and my classmates and the people that I've met there. Uh, but if I'm being honest, especially in the first two years, I was being really challenged. I was being really challenged. Until that point, I had been given all the answers. I had grown up with clarity. I was certain about the things, the doctrines that I believed in. Every question that anybody could have, there was a text for it, and I could pull it up, and everything was so clear. The doctrines and the beliefs of my upbringing, they were the materials that I used to create this box, this spiritual box that I called my faith. And that box was strong. I knew who God was. I had clarity. But all of a sudden, I was being challenged. Every single book that I would read, every idea that I would come into contact with, every debate that I would have with somebody, my box started to weaken and break down little by little. I was nervous. I was scared. But if I'm being honest, I was kind of excited. It was exciting for me because I wanted to engage my faith. I almost wanted to test God. I told myself, if all of this is true, then I'm going to come out of this stronger and more grounded than when I first came in. And so I started questioning everything. I started doubting everything. I, I, I started asking difficult questions. I started doing my own personal studies that were not a part of the curriculum. I started uh, reading different types of authors, atheist authors and philosophers and, and thinkers 
And, and I would ask myself the difficult questions. I, I studied really good critiques of religion. And I was finding that I was starting little by little to not be able to find answers to the questions that I had. I would ask myself, is this it? Is this all that there is? Is everything that I believed in growing up, is it all a lie? And I remember this day clearly. Um, I came out of La Sierra Hall into Founders Green. If you've been to La Sierra, you know there's this beautiful lawn out in the front. And um, I go into Founders Green, and the, the day was beautiful. Sun was beaming. The breeze, you know, was so nice. And I decided to lay down. I laid down on Founders Green, and I looked up to the sky. And for the first time in my life, I could not see past it. For the first time in my life, I couldn't get myself to believe. And I felt all alone. Now, as I reflect on this moment, now 10 years later, this moment, this beautiful, holy and sacred moment of doubt and unbelief, there were some things that remained. There were some things that I found to be elemental. I want to share those things with you. I narrowed them down to three. Three things during that season that I found to be elemental. You guys ready? The first one, the faith of my family. The second one, the songs of my community. And the third one, the grace of God. I'm going to start with the first one, the faith of my family. I grew up in a really religious home, all right? We were intense about it. We were at church all the time, all right? Every Friday night, somebody said, respect, respect. <laughs> PKs have it different. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> you know how it is. Every, every Friday, every Friday night, every Saturday morning early, right, for practice, Every uh, uh, Saturday for church service, lunch, we would have it there at church. Then social jóvenes, at the, uh, you know, after, which is like the afternoon program. Then sociales, which was like games that we'd play like uh, in the night. It was great. Um, and then Sunday morning pathfinders. Oof, tough times. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Soy conquistador fuerte fiel. Y'all remember that? Um, man. Uh, we were there all the time. Wednesday night for prayer meeting. I mean, I'm telling you, we were, we were just consistent, all right? And on top of that, we would, we would do worships at home. Every morning, we would do worship. Every evening, we would pray together, you know? And, and if there was nothing happening on Friday night, best believe we were at the house worshiping and, and singing and reading scripture, you know? And I'm going to be honest, I, I wasn't engaged all the time, all right? There was a lot of times where I'm like, yo, this is annoying. Like, the struggle is real. I'm trying to get out of here, right? Can we go do something else? Why do we have to do this all the time? Um, but these were the rhythms of my family. These were the rhythms and the patterns that my family instilled in me. And these were really, really crucial for me growing up. Um, my family, is, they're, they're really special, and I'm so incredibly grateful for them. And if I, I think about them as a really spiritual family, if I'm, um, 
like a spiritually strong family. If I'm, I'm, I'm being honest, I didn't particularly just think about my mom's faith. I didn't particularly just think about my dad's faith, even though they carried the culture. It wasn't just my tias and my tios. It certainly wasn't just the faith of my cousins and I. Like, it wasn't that. But for some reason, when we all came together, there was strength there. Like, the faith of my family was strong. There was grounding, a collective faith of my family was strong. In Mark chapter 2, we see uh, Jesus who is speaking in Capernaum. And Jesus at this point is really popular and people really want to hear him speak. And so they're going to hear him speak at this house. He goes to this house and it's completely crowded. It's so packed. And some friends try to bring a paralyzed man, a paralyzed man, so that Jesus can heal him, but they can't get in. We're going to read the text, Mark 2. Uh, verse 3 to 5, four men arriving, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Uh, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I always wonder, like, is this really the best option? Like, could they not have waited for Jesus to come out or, like, make an announcement? You know, I actually feel terrible for, like, the homeowner. Like, how did that, you ever think about him? Like, how did that conversation go, right? How did it go with his wife? Like, hey, babe, Jesus, there's this guy named Jesus who's coming over, all right? And people are saying he's the Messiah. You know, there's going to be eight, nine of us max, right? Just like a little Bible study. <laughs> and then to his horror, thousands of people show up to this thing, right? I can just imagine this guy looking up at his, as his roof is getting, you know, wrecked, completely destroyed. How did that conversation go with Jesus? Jesus, hey, I know that you heal, you know, uh, lepers and paralyzed men, but do you fix, you know, property damage? Is that a thing? <laughs> I wonder if, if, if Jesus said your, your roof is good now. <laughs> Anyways, but they decide this is what we want to do. They, they dig this hole in this roof, and it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. He's eventually healed. I love that Mark notes this. It's Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralyzed man, not the faith of the, the leader of the friend group, but Jesus saw their faith. There's a collective faith that matters so much. And don't get me wrong, our individual faith, it matters a lot. And that's something that we're all working at and sorting through. But sometimes the collective faith of the communities that we're a part of, they matter as much, if not more, because when our faith feels weakened, when we feel like our box is crumbling a little bit, we can lean into the collective faith of our community. And it's sometimes that, the thing that can carry us through. And during my season of doubt and uncertainty, I continued to live out the patterns that were instilled by my parents. I still continued to go to church. I still continued to engage. I would worship, you know, with my community. I would worship with my family. I would pray with them. And they would pray for me. 
My, my parents, I think of them as such, such faithful people. They're the type of people that like, if I wake up at, I would wake up at 5.30 in the morning and they're already up for like an hour, like praying and reading scripture. They're that type. And they still do it to this day. Like we know there's no such thing as too early for my family because my parents wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. and start their matutina in the morning and, and, they, and they pray and they read scripture and it's such a beautiful thing. And I cannot tell you how much it has meant to me, how special it has been to go through my seasons in life knowing that there's somebody who is praying for me every single day. And you know what's crazy? Now that I'm married, Hazel's parents are the same way. They wake up so early, and, and they live in Costa Rica, so they've been, you know, because of the time change, they've been praying for an hour already. We got that blessing an hour early. They're the same, and it's so beautiful. I cannot tell you how special it is to live our life knowing that we have four people every single day who are lifting us up in prayer. And something is telling me that some of us are here today because we have a mom or a dad who continues to pray for you. Some people are here today because there's a tia, there's a tío. Maybe you're here because your grandma for years has not stopped praying for you. And please believe me, God listens to those prayers. He really does. And you might be feeling, my family's not like that. You know, you might be thinking that I cannot relate to that. My family does not have that strong foundation. And that's okay. God is working in you. But please know that if you're here today or you're listening to this sermon online, wherever you find yourself in, you're already, already automatically adopted in this crosswalk family. You're a part of this family. You might feel, man, I don't, I, I don't have anybody to pray for me. There's people here who are, who are those people, those 3 a.m. people, the 4 a.m. people. I've talked to them, and they pray for you every single day. They pray for the kids of this church. They, they pray for the youth of this church, people who are going through problems with their health, people who are going through uncertainty. They lift you up in prayer, and, and God listens to those prayers. I really believe that. And you might feel, you might be here today, you might feel, my, my faith is not strong. I cannot say that my faith is strong. Please know that God is doing a work in you, and that's okay. But the faith of this community is so strong. It is so strong. It is so beautiful. And I hope that wherever you find yourself, if you're in a moment of doubt and uncertainty, continue to come, continue to engage, and lean into the collective faith of this community because it can be the thing that can carry you through. The second thing, the songs of my community. You guys know music is a big part of my life. It always has been. I grew up playing at church. That's what formed me into the musician, in, in, musically, it formed me, and it formed me into the person that I am. Those, those songs, those hymns, those coritos, they, they, they made me into who I am today. And they're still in my heart. I, fast forward to my season in college, I was skeptical. Like, I would go to church, and I was like, none of this is probably true. But something about the songs that we sang in worship, something about those hymns, it would open up my heart like nothing else would, especially the classics, right? You know what? You know the classics. Great is thy faithfulness. Sing it with me. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have need. 
needed, thy hands that's provided. Great moments, Lord, unto Something about these songs. And, and I promise you, I would sit in church and I would tell myself, this is, this is just all emotional. This is some sort of rush of endorphins that's happening. There's nothing going on here, but something about these songs, something about the moment of worship. It was almost as though Jesus was knocking at the door of my heart once again. And part of the reason I am so passionate about worship, those who know me know that I'm about this. I love this because I myself have experienced the transformational power of the Holy Spirit through worship. There's a reason why in 2 Kings, when Elisha is about to speak to the people of Israel and consult a king, and, and he needs a message from the Lord to the people. He doesn't go to a staff meeting and a business meeting. He doesn't go consult people. The first thing that he does, he says, bring me a musician. All right? And this harpist, they bring this harpist, and this harpist begins to play. And only then does the Spirit of God descend, and he gets clarity and a vision from God for all of his people. Worship is not just descriptive. It's not just sharing the things that we see around us. Worship is prophetic. And you need to know that. Worship is prophetic, calling us to more, declaring in faith the goodness and faithfulness of God. When we sing things here like we believe that God makes the darkness tremble, or we believe that God is faithful and that he will never let us down, or that God reigns over every single situation, we're not singing those things assuming that everyone lives in that reality. We're not singing these songs naively, believing that pain does exist and sorrow and frustration and doubt, that those things aren't real for us. We are singing these songs prophetically, believing and declaring in faith that Jesus can bring light to any situation. Worship is prophetic. And if I can just talk to the worshipers, and I see a lot of them here, of which you guys are amazing, and the worship team of this house that is amazing, and the production team of this house that I love so much. I want to, yeah, it's worth a clap for sure. If you consider yourself part of the worship experience, please hear me out. You're not just a drummer. You're not just a bassist. You're not just a keyboard player. You're not just a singer or, or a camera operator or graphics, lighting, production. You guys are prophets. You guys are prophets who, who are amplifying the faith and the cry of this community to a world that is struggling, that needs it so badly. Please don't doubt that. So if you find yourself, again, in moments of uncertainty and moments of doubt, I pray that you may still engage into this moment of worship because worship is prophetic. And my prayer is that you may experience the transformational power of the Holy Spirit through these songs. And the last thing, the last thing is the, the, the grace of God. Oh, so important. The grace of God. I was so elemental. You guys know uh, that when, now hopefully you haven't experienced this, but, um, but when people start asking questions, oftentimes in religious communities, they're kind of shamed a little bit, right? They're kind of labeled as unfaithful. There's a guilt that's sometimes placed on them. 
And, and, it's, and it's so hurtful. It can be so hurtful and so damaging. Um, but when I went through my season, I didn't experience that. I didn't experience a community that shamed me, that pushed me away. Um, and I didn't experience that from God either. And so to my surprise, I started, I started talking about my thoughts and my questions. I started engaging. I started vocalizing, hey, I have, I'm not sure about this and that. I don't know what this means. I don't know if I believe. I started sharing those things, and I realized that I was not alone, that there were people who were going through the same stuff that I was going through. There were people who had asked themselves the same questions that I was wrestling with, and that I could lean into them for wisdom and guidance. I did not experience a God who shamed me or punished me, but I experienced a God who calmed my fears, who calmed my anxieties and embraced me. And that has made, really made all the difference. You guys might have heard me tell this story before, but when I was um, a little kid, I was kind of uh, really, I was scared kid, all right? I was kind of afraid of, of, of things, I was specifically afraid of the dark, all right? The unknown, because I would look at darkness and my imagination would start going crazy, right? Oh my goodness, what could be back there? Um, as I was going to, to sleep, I would always get thirsty. And so I would, uh, I would go to the kitchen, to the abyss that was my kitchen, right? The darkness. And uh, I would go and turn on the light. Oof, we were safe, right? And then I would, I would get my cup of water that I'm going to drink right now. Mm. I would drink my water. I'd do my thing, right? And, uh, and going back was the scariest part. I would put my cup down, and I would, I would put my hand on the light switch. And I would have to, like, hide myself up. Okay, it's game time. Here we go. Three two, one, and I would turn the light off, and then I would run to my room. I would book it because I was so certain some sort of monster was, like, right behind me about to get me. Yeah, I was kind of scared of the dark, all right? If you ever experienced that, say, mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. I was feeling alone a little bit. <laughs> um, on top of that, on top of that, um, I was kind of, I was, I dealt with a lot of anxiety growing up, and I would have a lot of panic attacks, and oftentimes it would kind of manifest themselves at night. So the nighttime was a very scary time for me. It was, I was very anxious. I was very fearful around that time. And when things would get really bad, um, I, would, um, I would go look for my mom. And my dad would often work, work nights. Um, and so my mom would just invite me, say, hey, come on up. And I would jump on my mom, my mom's bed, and, um, and she would start uh, trying to calm me down. Hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. She started calming my fears and stuff. But sometimes things were just not enough. And I was very scared. I was very anxious. And when things would get really, really bad, my mom would begin to sing to me. She would sing to me. She would sing these old songs, these beautiful songs, songs about God. And... Um, uh, little by little, just hearing those melodies and those songs, my, my fear started going away. And I was able to finally go to sleep. Um, and she had to do this often, you know, when I was growing up. Now, if I were to, like, rank gracious, 
uh, acts, like the most gracious things that you could do to people, I would put singing to them like pretty up there, all right? There's something so gracious about that. Have, have, has anybody ever sang to you? There's something so beautiful about that and gracious. But did you know that God sings over you as well? In, um, in Zephaniah, um, it's, a, it's a crazy book. You see God going through his own deconstruction, his own breaking down and rebuilding of his relationship with Israel. And at the end, in chapter 3, we see a prophecy of things how they should be. Of things when everything is okay, when everything is made right. And we see this beautiful picture of God. I'm going to read from Zephaniah 3, verse 14. It says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout out loud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will delight. Oops, I gotta go back. He will, he will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Other versions say he will rejoice over you with singing. What a gracious God that we serve. I am so grateful for that because I've experienced the grace of God. I have been a recipient for that, from, of that, and, and without it, I would not be here today. And so my hope and my prayer is that if there's somebody in here, somebody who is listening to my voice, who may be in a season of uncertainty, who may be in a season of transition, who may be breaking down what they know, the, their world is falling apart, and there's so much fear and uncertainty. If that's you today, please, please know that God loves you so much. And I hope that you experience the God who sings over you to calm your fears with so much grace. I'm so incredibly grateful for that. So as we close, this is my hope for you. As you go through seasons of reorientation, may you lean into the strength of the collective faith of this community. May you be transformed by the Holy Spirit through prophetic moments of worship. And may you come to know a God that sings over you with grace and with love. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the love and grace that you've shown us. Thank you that in moments of uncertainty, that in moments of, of doubt, that you are present, that you open up your, your arms to us, that you are faithful, that you bring us peace. I pray that if there's somebody in here, God, that's somebody in here who's going through that season in their life, 
May they experience your presence. And so we have nothing else to say, God, but thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being such a good God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Let's stand up and sing together.